Namaste and welcome to Pods by PEI, a policy discussion series brought to you by Policy Entrepreneurs Inc. I am Pragati Karki. In today's episode, we have PEI colleague Lasta Joshi in conversation with Padma Sundar Joshi on navigating solution to Kathmandu's water crisis, Haiti and beyond. Padma Sundar Joshi is the Vice President of Madan Bhandari University of Science and Technology. He has more than a decade of experience in urban planning and environment. He has worked with the city offices on projects like the Municipal Infrastructure Improvement Projects and the Kathmandu Valley Mapping Program. He has published books and series of articles on urban development, including a recent publication titled The Haiti System, Past, Present and Future. Lasta and Padma discuss the intricate relation between water and urbanism in Kathmandu Valley, focusing on the traditional water management system known as Hiti Pranali. Covering historical backgrounds and the current challenges the valley faces, including water shortages and climate change impact, they explore the potential of traditional systems like Hiti in addressing modern water management issues. The conversation extends to ongoing projects and challenges restoring the Hiti and other traditional water system, emphasizing their significance as sustainable nature-based solution. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Namaste, this is Lasta Joshi. Namaste, this is Padma Joshi. Padma, thank you for joining us today at Bots by PEI. It's my pleasure. Today, we'll be talking about the relation of water and urbanism in relation to Kathmandu Valley. So, water is integrally woven into the fabric of human life, and it is not just important for survival, but also vital for social, cultural, and economic development. Speaking in this line, there are numerous water architectures that have existed in the valley's urban tapestry since its inception. Padma, you have been working in urban planning sector of Kathmandu Valley for many, many years and have been extensively focused on the revival and documentation of the valley's traditional water management system, locally known as Hiti. You have also written a book on the subject aptly titled Hiti Pranali, which chronicles the history and significance of that mechanism. So let's first start with introducing Hiti Pranali itself. So what is this Hiti? And we have also used the term pranali, which translates to system in English, instead of using the term hiti alone. So what significance does the addition of pranali hold in this context? Well, when you see our traditional settlements in Kathmandu Valley, you know, almost all of the settlements, the traditional settlements that situated on the tar land, when I say tar land, it's an upland, not on the riverbanks. The cities of those days, I'm not talking about 100 or 200 years, it's about 1,000 years or more, right? Those cities grew that expanded on the upland, not on the riverbank, unlike the civilizations in other parts of the world. And how that can be possible without having adequate water? So a Hiti system, what I, what I say the system, Hiti system, is... Actually, that was developed in the due course of, you know, that growth of the settlements where they have to invent new ideas to bring water in their upland settlements. And they use brilliantly 
the storm water as well as the ground water. All three forms of water, they utilized to a system and what we call the Hiti system, where they have harvested water from all possible sources to nearly flow water in their settlements. So that is what the Hiti system is. So could you let us know when this Pranali, this Hiti Pranali began and where is it now? Well, if we dig into the history, we don't know the exact date when the Hiti was invented. But, you know, if you go to the historical books, the first in a written form, there is a, what we call the Thiasapu, a written book of a traditional type, a very old time, that is that was found from uh, Swayambhu, where they have mentioned about a pranali, or a Hiti pranali. So that is the first one. In the, as far as I know, historically, we found that that is around 480. So that means the Hiti must have been developed long before that. So if you see historically, the Hiti that is being running even today is the Manga Hiti, is the Hiti next to the Patan Darbar Square. And the, the Hiti was established in 570 AD. It's a, it has got a stone inscription there that mentions that. The person who installed that hiti, who built that hiti, he also built another one in Hanigang in 550 AD. The same person called Varavi. Varavi is the grandson of the great king Manadev. So that shows that history, the historical, this is a very, very old system. And not necessarily the whole components of the Hittites were developed on those days, but it was further enhanced in the coming later years. So since we're talking about components, what are these components that form the whole system of Hitti today? You know, the, the Hitti is a combination of uh, a well and a spring. In the mountain slopes, you most of the places you will find the spring and the water coming out from the ground, right? Uh, those spring spouts, spring areas are protected and the water is collected and brought to the place where it, where it is needed in the settlement. And when they bring that from the spring, the spring could be the spring uh, water coming out from the ground, over the ground, but also there can, there can be water aquifer in the ground where there is a underground flow of water. So people on those days, they found that and they collected those water in the, the uh, terracotta pipe. They brought it up to, the, to their settlement, digging on the ground, right? So these channels... These gutters, they, they bring water to the place. And the, so when you say bringing water on that way, that means it is a gravity flow. So with the gravity flow that brought to the uh, settlement and where they dig a hole and there they install the hiti, the stone spout. And that is how they bring the water. But when I say this, uh, hiti uh, has the intake and they have got a gutter and then the stone spout. More than that, to, to augment the aquifer, they might have pond upstream of that uh, spring. And then to, to, to feed the pond, they might have rasgulo or the irrigation canal uh, brought from a surface, uh, surface flow. So that is how the rasgulo 
the irrigation canal. Then you have got a spring, the intake structure, and then you have got a gutter, the, what we call, what we say in Newari is a hitidu. And with that hitidu, that is brought to hitimanga, that is the stone spout from where the water comes out. And where the, you, get, you get the water, you fetch water, that is a hiti hole, that is called in Newari hitiga. So this is how, these are the normal components. And more than that, there's one more component. Since the uh, water is collected from the pit, the excess water has to flow. So you have to have a drain-out uh, system as well. So can you also speak more on the drain-out system? What happens to the water that is not being used? So since it is something like Hiti, is something like bringing the, what you call, the spring, bringing the spring or the bringing a waterfall in your settlement, right? Once you use that water, that is okay. Once it is not used, but it uh, continuously flows. So you have to have a very uh, good drainage system. And for do, on those days, what they do is to utilize water. They do not just uh, let the water go, flow down, but either they collect it in a small pond. That water can again be utilized for several other auxiliary functions, or they will take that water to irrigate the nearby farm. So that is how that water, if you like, the wasted water can be uh, further utilized. Yeah, it seems like this sustainable form of water management. But why did we end up not continuing this traditional water management system? Well, this is definitely a sustainable way of uh, management. You, what do you mean by sustainable? It is long-lasting. You have got little, what you call, maintenance, right? It continues. Now, I'm talking about the Hiti in Manga, Manga Hiti, the, the first one in record. That was established in 570 AD, and now in 2023, still that ET is running. How sustainable this system is. This is just an example of that, the sustainability. But unfortunately, in recent past years, but actually in recent past, last 60, 70 years, uh, we have destroyed several of those ET systems. You see, many of those ETs do not trickle water. Right, that they are dried. Some are dried for the whole year. Some are dried only during the dry season. Uh, but there are problem in heating system. The main problem in heating system is, you know, the, the the maintenance of the system is neglected. The sources they do not know. In the one unfortunate part of the heating system is we do not have a map where exactly the uh, the, the intake is located and how, from where the gutter is being constructed. So without that map, it is very difficult to know where these, these are flowing and how this, can, the, uh, how this can be maintained. So for that purpose, the biggest challenge is to map the heating system, uh, the, the hole from the intake to the spout and also the drainage. Well, in earlier time, what happens was people know from grandfather to his son, son to his son. That is how they, they know and they maintain it. Now, in due course of time, when we have this piped water system, and these systems were forgotten because piped water is much more easier 
and the government is managing that so the community started you know saying that well if the government takes uh, takes care of that why should we bother about this hiti and uh, that is that was the way hitis were slowly and gradually neglected and uh, you see the uh, situation now Uh, before we dive further into our conversation in understanding the traditional water system, uh, I think we should first establish what problems we face regarding water use in the valley. So, as an expert who has keenly observed and worked in this area, what do you regard are the top issues that our valley is experiencing or is set to struggle with in the future in terms of water consumption and management? Well, when we say water consumption and man- management, there are three types of water that uh, that uh, are challenging to us. First is we need to drink water, drinking water, household water, not domestic use or industrial use, whatever the use of water that the cleaner water. And second challenge is again the the, the waste water that we produce. As we all know, that eighty five percent of the water that we bring use at home. will be discharged as wastewater whether you take bath you wash your clothes or you use in your kitchen or you use your use it to clean up your toilet whatever so 85% is going to be turned into wastewater so how to manage that wastewater is the second challenge and uh, the third challenge is the storm water again since kathmandu valley has grown haphazardly without any plan so all the water that flows and most of the time people do not like the rain water and they want to have a drain to bring that water to the river as quickly as possible right so if that is the case then the groundwater the water cannot penetrate or infiltrate into the groundwater table so that means there is a scarcity of water the, the groundwater is depleting on the other side in the river there is a flow it's a big flow at when there is a rain and after some time there's no water so these kind of three challenges i see in water management in kathmandu valley particularly uh, because of the a and the, the ever increasing population and b uh, with unplanned development so with the challenges in water consumption and management that the valley faces and is likely to continue facing where can we situate the traditional water management system can traditional water management system like hiti pranali in particular be an asset in overcoming these looming issues especially given the fact that there are many modern alternatives that could be considered relatively more efficient well modern systems are more convenient that i can say but efficiency is something different you know convenience is there because in earlier time people have to go to the stone spout and fetch their water buckets right or water vessels and uh, you fill it you bring to the house right there's a quite some heavy work they need to do and unfortunately that all has to be done by the women that's another the gender issue you can see in the traditional uh, society uh, that is one part but uh, nowadays the tap is next to your room your next to your bedroom there's a toilet or you have got a bathroom or you have got a kitchen so definitely that's a convenience is there but that convenience has also brought a lot of wastage of water 
the water consumption has increased not only due to population but the quantity of water per capita use is so high that you need more and more water right so that that is the challenge but where this water comes from water comes from either from the rivers and then the storm water the, the surface water or from the ground and in Kathmandu valley let's forget uh, for a while about melamsi uh, in Kathmandu otherwise what we are drinking is you know almost 30 to 35% of the water that we are drinking is groundwater so groundwater is not a shallow water on the ground also there are two types of water right one shallow water that is maybe 20 or 30 feet or 60 feet below but there are there is water which is more than 200 meters below 200 meters below that is what we call a fossil water that water reaches there after traveling for several not decades even centuries Right. 100, 200, 500 years back, there was some water entered into the ground in Sibapuri area, and that water has entered the wrist to the deep water aquifer after 100 or 200 years. There are literatures out there. People are doing so many research in that aspect also. Well, that water is brought, pumped, and that we are using as if it is free. So that's a fossil water that we are using. And what is what are the consequences? Water table is depleting. It's not only depleting, because of that, whole Kathmandu floor is sinking. There are studies that shows that Kathmandu Valley is sinking one to two centimeter every year, right? And that is going to be a huge ecological or geological challenge for Kathmandu Valley's sustainability also. That is one part. But now, on the other side, if you see how Hiti can support that, what Hiti is doing is you have got a rainwater that, that slowly, gradually penetrates and infiltrates into the water table, and that water we consume. And every year, the same rain during the monsoon, we have got plenty of rain, and that water is replenished, unlike the deep water aquifer. These are replenishable. So because of that, we can easily utilize that water. And this is, in a way, you know, that will be, uh, for the people, that is one of the last resort for water. If you do not get any water, for example, uh, now the Melamchi water is in Kathmandu. Before that, if you see all in the spouts or in the wells, all the poor people are surviving with that water. So that's the last resort that we have. So it is definitely beneficial for the community to conserve those systems so that you have got a water. During the water scarce time, you have got a, at least a reliable source there. So yeah, th in that respect, the Hiti system is so important. But you can see also from the historical or yeah, from the heritage point of view, these are the human knowledge right? The wisdom that was used long, long time back to build it. So it's for this generation, it is our responsibility also to conserve those heritage, the water heritage. How does a Haiti fare with contemporary patterns of water pollution? Are there any ways in which the system needs modification to better perform against modern problems? Well, again, that is the point uh, I tried to explain earlier also. 
the more you have got water, the more you have got polluted water, right? And on top of that, uh, in earlier time, in last 30, 40, 50 years back, in Kathmandu, there is a kind of wave. Uh, for the hygiene purpose, for sanitation purpose, people should build their own toilet. But they built their own toilet in their own house. But the waste from the toilet, you know, the, the black water, what we call the feces and the urine, these are all collected into a pit. And when you collect that into a pit, that means those pits from there that leaks and that goes, that pollutes the groundwater. The hiti water that used to be clean for drinking in earlier time, now if you see in most of the hitis, the water has a pollution, it's a polluted water. And if you test it, test it what you will find is, you know, E. coli and all those substances you will find there. So that means we have already polluted our groundwater. Uh, I will not suggest anyone to drink water from hiti directly. You need some kind of treatment like uh, boiling or some other chemical treatment need to be done. Are there ways in which Hiti and other indigenous water management system provide an age in tackling issues induced by climate change? Yes, I think Hiti is again could be one of the one of the solution. I will not say solution, at least that helps in to fight against climate change as well. Because you know, in Hiti, what it does is during the rain, the water is collected. Now, we need to do extra work to recharge our groundwater table. Earlier time, it was Kathmandu. Uh, if you see from, uh, from the town of Kathmandu, everywhere you see the green field, meaning those are the agriculture land. In agriculture land, the soil has a time to absorb the rain and that will percolate, infiltrate and percolate into the groundwater table. Now on those agricultural land, all the houses has been constructed. Once the houses are constructed, now there's no chance of uh, percolating. You have got a house, you have got a roof. From the roof, you have got a gutter and bring that water and uh, to, the, to the, the, the stormwater drains, right? Not only that, even in, in your courtyard, in your front yard, all it has been plastered to, to keep your shoes or keep your legs dry. And what happens is there's no possibility of recharging the groundwater. So if we are fighting against this climate change, we definitely need a recharging system. So if we are sealing the surface, then we have to have a recharge wells. And there are techniques how to recharge the groundwater table. And we need to do that. Without doing that, uh, the groundwater table will replenish. Uh, the, the water table will go down, draw down. Hi there. This is Somit Nirnipane from Policy Entrepreneurs Inc. We hope you're enjoying Parts by PEI. As you know, creating this show takes a lot of time and resources. And we rely on the support of our community to keep things going. If you've been enjoying the show and would like to help us out, we'd really appreciate it if you could become a patron on Patreon. Patreon is a platform that allows listeners like you to support creators like us with a small monthly donation. 
Your support will go a long way in helping us continue creating high-quality content for you. So if you're interested in supporting our show and becoming a part of our community, head on over to Patreon and become a patron today. You can find us at patreon.com slash podsbypei. Every little bit helps and we can't thank you enough for your support. Now let's get back to the episode. Let's take a moment to summarize and reflect on our conversation so far. I guess it would not be wrong to say that the Hiti system encapsulates the concept of low energy, nature-based solution for sustainable water management in a single system. But the big question today is, is it even possible to restore the Hiti system? If yes, what form of efforts would such a restoration require? Well, definitely we can restore the Hittis, but the challenge is uh, how much effort is needed, right? When I say effort is needed, technically almost all of the Hittis can be restored. Technically, I don't see much problem. The problem is governance, right? When I say governance, the policy, the government, want whether they want to do it or not. Most of the time, the municipal mayors and, you know, the, the political representatives, they all talk about these uh, uh, fancy uh, words like, okay, what are the Hiti system? We need, to, uh, we need to restore it, this and that. But you see, except one or two mayors that I know, uh, none of them are supporting this financially, policy-wise, right? They haven't invested Let's take about the, 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 we had the election one and a half years back. What, how many Hittites uh, has been restored? Who has done that? No. So these are mostly lip service the politicians are doing. And that is the unfortunate part of it. But if you would like to do that, that can be done. There are some uh, initiatives that is taking place. I can explain to you later that, on that. But how this can be done is from two ways. We have to see not only the stone spout, the hiti, the, the hitiga. We have to look into the whole system, meaning its source, its conduit, and then it's uh, from where the water is coming out, and then the drainage. So even when we talk about source, that is the what we call groundwater table, groundwater aquifer. These aquifers need to be supported by extra additional water. For that, in earlier time, people have built ponds, right? Or the, in English, they call it rather tank. The tanks has been built, and these tanks collect water, rainwater, not only rainwater as well as the surface water from the streams. These water, the water is collected there, and the pond slowly, gradually recharges the ground, and that is how that reaches to the groundwater table, I mean the aquifer, and from where we get perennially the water in the stone spouts. That is uh, where we need to look into all the components, not only one. Most of the time, uh, the municipalities, what they are doing is they are decorating the uh, stone spout. That's good. That's a good intention. But that is not sufficient because if you do not have water in a hitiga, in a hiti, then it is just a decorative piece, nothing more than that. So that part is very, very important for, for the, what you call, reviving the CET system. 
So you have touched bases on some of the challenges that we may face while revitalizing this traditional system, especially in the terms of monetary aspect. But there is one aspect which is in terms of knowledge, uh, because uh, as we know, there has been generational gap in transfer of this indigenous craftsmanship that had been overlooked for a very long time. So how can we navigate or move around uh, this gap uh, in order to revive this traditional water management system? Well, yeah, there is gap. Definitely there, are, there is gap. But, you know, as you said earlier, it is the low energy, you know, nature-based system. So it's the technology is rather simple. It's not that complex. The only thing is why it is done, how it is done. Just ask few questions. Then you, if you understand that, you can manage the Hiti system. That's not a big problem. But yes, there is a need to you know, propagate. They need to educate people how this system works. Uh, podcasts like this would be one of the methods of doing that. But there are other ways also to you know educate people how the, the, the ET system works. That can be done. That should not be a big challenge. The big challenge is more, as I said earlier, the governance part. There should be the willingness at the political level in a real sense, the willingness, what I mean, is in real sense, they would like to conserve these IT systems. So you have talked about traditional ponds within the traditional uh, water management system of Hiti Pranali or Hiti system. Uh, so as the part of revitalization of the system, there has been a lot of work, I hear, uh, in Kathmandu Valley to re- restore this uh, traditional ponds which uh, you have also been part of and there has been a lot of conversation around the need to restore such ponds in the traditional architecture so could you enlighten uh, us on what is the significance of ponds as an asset to our modern urban settlement and consumption is it just to enhance the urban aesthetic or does it have a larger service on the environmental level well, I think the urban aesthetic is a byproduct. In the when you install a pond, the, because you have got water, you have got a water body next to your house. Is a the, I, I think it's a pride, and that's a good part of it. But more than that, when people build pond, I think it is not for that aesthetics. It's more for the function, right? So as I said earlier, these ponds, they collect rainwater. You know, Kathmandu Valley, not only Kathmandu Valley, the whole region, the, the South Asian region, particularly the, the Himalayan region, we have got the three to four months of uh, rain, the monsoon rain. That is uh, around 80% of the rainfall of the whole year that happens within this four years, uh, four months. So... A lot of water is coming out there. So at the time, the challenge is how to manage that water. So if you built a tank or a pond to buffer, to collect, to retain that water for the time being, then that means that that helps to uh, protect your settlement from flood. That is one good uh, benefit of pond. But on the other side, that slowly, gradually recharge the groundwater table. That's second benefit. And the third benefit, definitely in the urban settlement, 
think about those days when we have got all, not only the uh, you know the the tile roof we have we used to have a thatched roof uh, with the straw you know the the, the wheat straw and other that thatched roof those are very vulnerable to fire where you go to collect water to to, to fight fire so these ponds provides that and more than that, we have got duck farming, you have got some, uh, you know, big utensils that need to be cleaned. All those auxiliary activities can be done within that pond. So pond has several other, you know, benefits apart from, you know, the, the aesthetics. But one important point what you asked is how this pond need to be revitalized or rebuilt. Definitely, it has to follow the tra traditional norms. Now, if you start uh, in, in pattern and in many areas, what you see is they say that, okay, they, there's no water, so the water will e evaporate. So we need to evaporate as well as that will percolate. So to keep that within the pond, so they started making those bed and the side walls with concrete, right? And now you, if you go to those ponds, you'll see no water now. This concrete is not a solution to keep the pond. So you, we have to go with the clay. The, there are special clays how to retain pond, uh, pond water. The, 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 the permeability is very, very low. Uh, that kind of clay are there. That is what the traditionally our people used to uh, use to build a pond. That, that those technologies are there and that can be done. And for example, for, for your information, I can say that Lalpur metropolitan city is going to revive Saptapatal Puku. That is the pond next to Lagankel bus park, right, nearby. It's within Lagankel. And that is going to be uh, rebuilt in a traditional way. Just like the ponds that has been rebuilt in several ponds in Madhyapur Thimi municipality, also in Bhaktapur and also in Kathmandu, like in Rani Pokhari. You may know about that struggle, the local people fighting against that concrete building of the pond and ultimately the municipality agreed to go for that traditional one. Now you see the Rani Pokhari is working. Similar technology need to be adopted, no, not a concrete, definitely no. That's very good to know. Now moving forward, you also mentioned a bit about recharge wells earlier. So let's look into some of those ongoing restoration projects which are beyond the traditional system that had been undertaken to address valleys depleting aquifers and groundwater. A recent project that has gathered a lot of public attention is the rejuvenation of Baisara Park in Balazu. Now, this project claims to recharge around 30 million liters of water annually. Can you share so more about projects like such and what is its significance in context of Kathmandu Valley? Well, that's an interesting question and also a challenging one. And what needs to be done? The, the ultimately, uh, forget about Hiti system. Uh, forget about uh, the other, other the, the systems. Ultimately, people cannot survive without water. That's for sure. Yeah, there are several initiatives ongoing in Kathmandu, like Baisara. In Lalitpur also, there are a few yeah, initiatives are undertaking. Mm. But the challenge uh, here is, in Baisara, what they are trying to do is uh, recharge the ground. 
it's more than by water flowing from Baistara. It is more recharging the ground groundwater. Baistara is a sad story because that beautiful Yiti system was destroyed mainly because upstream of that there are reservoirs constructed by the by KUKL or at that time Nepal Water Supply Corporation, which has collected all the water that is flowing into the Baistara. So uh, Baistara reviving is rather challenging, but that can be improved little bit by this recharging. That recharging will help to Baistara, but more than that, downstream of that settle that area, uh, their wells will be recharged. So that would be the benefit of recharging there. On the other hand, if you see Kathmandu Valley, when we see the challenge of water management in Kathmandu Valley, we really need to think about how to recharge the excess water during the monsoon to store it into, into shallow water aquifer, and that can be utilized during the uh, dry period. And for that, there should be a kind of campaign all over Kathmandu Valley to have recharge wells. These recharge wells is nothing, it's not a big thing, it's just uh, 20, 30 feet if, you, if that is needed, uh, 20, 30 feet deep wells where the surface water or the storm water is collected and recharged there so that the ground can absorb that water uh, which otherwise would have been uh, just thrown into the storm and that goes to the river system. So that is how... Uh, the water table can be maintained and that can be improved. So talking about such recharge projects, roughly how many more similar projects would it require to restore the valley's aquifer? Uh, I will put this question in the other way around. You know, we people living in Kathmandu, are res- we should be responsible for our water also. So... If the, from the sky there is a rainfall, if that water can be recharged into the ground, we should take at least that responsibility. You have to do nothing, just, just dig a well and how dense it may be, the settlement, that can be done. Because in a roof there is water, that water can be collected and you just put it into a recharge well. And that, if that responsibility is taken by people, then... This, is, this problem can be solved. And that, I think, morally also, that is our responsibility. So let's not uh, limit it to this area, this part, this many people, or this uh, municipality. It has to be done all over Kathmandu Valley. And I would go even beyond that. Everywhere in Nepal, this can be possible. There are some areas where recharge is not possible uh, because of the geological reasons. Uh, that will be very uh, few areas, not, not much. Uh, otherwise, in most of the areas, this can be done. Now, it is not necessary that what, whatever water we recharge need to be uh, for my use only. That will be the use for nature. Right, that uh, the, if we recharge, if the groundwater table is high, then that water slowly, gradually flows into the river in the dry period, in the winter time. So you will have a better flow in river. Isn't that a part of our, you know, use of that water that's available, right? If not for us, for the fish, for the uh, frog, and for all this ecosystem, that water is there. 
So ecologically, that's also a kind of service to the, the ecology, to the nature. So uh, I see that rainwater harvesting and recharging, particularly recharging, uh, should be a kind of uh, you know practice that all the people in Kathmandu Valley should do it. And not only Kathmandu Valley, as I said, in Tarai, in hills, uh, everywhere this can be done and it should be done. Now we have almost come to the end of the episode. So let's revisit the major question that underscores today's discussion. That is, where can the traditional water management be placed in Valley's modern water management system? As we know and we have discussed earlier as well, Kathmandu Valley has had episodes of severe water scarcity. And even though the Melamchi Drinking Water Project promises to provide access to water to larger population, the demand for water is ever-increasing. So in this context, would there be any merit if we focus more on projects like recharge wells and revitalization of traditional water management system over the large, expensive drinking water projects like Melamchi? Or is there a middle ground somewhere? Well, people are still migrating into Kathmandu Valley. So if a single person added means every day, at least 100 liter additional water demand is added. So water has to come from somewhere. So Melamchi is, we are, we are compelled to have that. But before talking about Melamchi, we should be responsible for ourselves. And that is why I said about this recharge. So let's collect the water, whatever we get, right? Let's use it. This is, this is the idea. It's not only even the issue of Nepal. All over the world, in the urban area, the water urbanism is about recharge. So the, the Chinese call it a sponge city, right? It's the same thing. What That is what we are saying. Sponge city or you see the Richards, uh, Kathmandu, all these are the, the same thing in different terminology we are talking about. We need to harvest water where, the, where you get it and store it in the ground and whenever you need it, you can pump it up. I will just give you an example how this works. Like... You know, this last year, in maybe April, May, there was a full flow of water in stone spouts in Lalitpur. And there was a, a, a reporter asking me how this is possible. During this dry season, there's a full flow of water from the spout. And it's because at that time, the Melamchi water was served and people did not pump water from their private wells. Mm -hmm. So the water table went up. So the, the rivers, the, the, sorry, the stone spouts are flowing. So you see the consequences. If you do not have water, then you rely on groundwater, whether it is Hiti uh, or it is your private well. So in that context, what I can see is this two has to go hand in hand uh, so that it's not uh, substitute to the other. You have talked about some of some interesting terminologies while explaining this topic. So there was one spawn city. So could you explain what it is? Well, when I say sponge city, you know, the soil is like a sponge. So if there is rain, let's store it in as a, as a sponge. So the sponge collects water, and when it collects water, it will recharge the ground as well as it stores the water. And one additional benefit of having that pond is, you know, if there is no pond, you will have a big size of drain would be needed. 
Now, if you have got a pond, water is stored in a pond so that the drainage, the stormwater drainage would be of a very small size. You also save a lot of uh, resources, the fund actually, of the municipality, uh, otherwise wasting on that big size of drain. So it is more, when I say responsibility, it is more uh, recharging the uh, ground. And when I say pond, that is also not necessarily that uh, all 12 months the water should be standing there. During the rainy season, it will be full. Gradually, it dries. And maybe in before monsoon, maybe in April, May, it will be totally dry. It doesn't make a difference to us even if it is dry. So it's, that is what a kind of nowadays, there's a fancy word for that we call rain garden. You use it as a garden, but uh, during the rainy time, it will be like a small pond in your backyard. And then during the dry time, it is dry. You can go into that pond also. People, guys, children can play there. So they call it rain garden also. And you mentioned the term water urbanism. So what does this mean? The water urbanism is, you know, slowly, gradually, apart from agriculture, use of water in cities has become increasing speedily, right? So how to manage water in urban area? Because the, the globe is urbanizing. Right? Uh, we have more than 50% of the world population is all already in urban centers. So that managing water in the urban area is water urbanism. So when I say this, in earlier time, we used to talk about storm water. We used to, used to talk about drinking water. Now, in water urbanism, the third very important component has come, that is wastewater. Because as I said earlier, 85% of the water that human beings consume turns into wastewater. So that, that wastewater has two effects. One is, you know, on one side, you do not have adequate water so that there's a challenge for us to how to utilize, reuse that water. And second is, if we leave it as it is, it is going to bring a lot of diseases and all the health-related challenges will come. So these three water management, management in urban area is water urbanism. So do we have any instances where these concepts happen or can be brought to life here in Kathmandu? Well, the, the Hiti system is already an example that we used to do. But I have visited, to, visited one country called Tunisia, right? Tunisia is next to the Sahara Desert. It's a very desertic area. The rainfall is around 200 to 250 millimeter per year, whereas in Nepal we have got more than 1500 millimeter. And still they are managing water. They have got the lakes, right? Collecting water. They harvest water in a lake and then they use it for irrigation and drinking and many other purposes. There are so many other, particularly the areas, arid areas where the water scarcity is there they are managing water in a, in a better way. So we definitely can learn from those techniques. But before going outside, let's look into ourselves where we have got the Hiti system that shows how water can be managed uh, for the urban population. 
so there are many examples outside also, inside also, but this need to be done at the public level. It's not one family, one house, few houses, one settlement doing that. That will, that will not be sufficient. We have to go. It has to be a general culture of a people, water, management, water managing culture of people. Without that, the coming challenge of climate change or other urbanization challenges, that cannot be addressed. So we really need to look it in a holistic way and in cross-section of the population that need to be done. So now before we wrap today's episode, would you like to add anything? Yes, definitely. The one thing that in our discussion that missed is, you know, this time is the time of the youths. And this water management, most of the time, youths are forgotten, women are forgotten, and the policymakers at the top level who might be engineer like me or the experienced people just sitting there and trying to do solve the problem uh, in, a, in isolation. I don't think that isolation will help to solve the water problem. So there need to be the youth participation, women's participation in the policy making, And that will definitely help A, to understand the problem and B, to find the solution. The mechanical way of uh, finding the solution was there 30 years back, 50 years back. Now, that should not be the approach the present generation should be taking. So, there, it should be a collective and constructive uh, initiative. And I think these kind of discussions definitely helps to, uh, you know, bring people together to address these kind of challenges. Yes, I totally agree with you and this is a great message to end our today's episode. With this, I would like to thank you for being here with us today and sharing your valuable insights. Thank you so much uh, for this opportunity. Uh, It was so nice talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Pods by PEI. I hope you enjoyed Lostar's conversation with Padma Sundar Joshi on navigating solutions to Kathmandu water crisis, Hiti and beyond. Today's episode was produced by Nirjan Rai with support from Kushi Hang and Ride Sapkota. The episode was recorded at PEI Studio and was edited by Ride Sapkota. Our theme music is courtesy of Rohit Sakya from Zindabad. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast. Also, please do us a favor by sharing us on social media and leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to the show. For PEI's video-related content, please search for Policy Entrepreneurs on YouTube. To catch the latest from us on Nepal's policy and politics, please follow us on Twitter at Tweet2PEI. That's Tweet, followed by the number 2, and PEI. And on Facebook at Policy Entrepreneurs Inc., You can also visit pi.center to learn more about us. Thanks once again from me, Pragati. We will see you soon in our next episode.